Judges chapter 15, verses 1 through 20. This is God's word. After some days, at the time of wheat harvest, Samson went to visit his wife with a young goat. And he said, I will go into my wife in the chamber. But her father would not allow him to go in. And her father said, I really thought that you utterly hated her, so I gave her to your companion. Is not her younger sister more beautiful than she? Please take her instead. And Samson said to them, This time I shall be innocent in regard to the Philistines when I do them harm. So Samson went and caught 300 foxes and took torches. And he turned them tail to tail and put a torch between each pair of tails. And when he had set fire to the torches, he let the foxes go into the standing grain of the Philistines and set fire to the stack grain and the standing grain, as well as the olive orchards. Then the Philistines said, who has done this? And they said, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite, because he has taken his wife and given her to his companion. And the Philistines came up and burned her and her father with fire. And Samson said to them, if this is what you do, I swear I will be avenged on you, and after that I will quit. And he struck them hip and thigh with a great blow, and he went down and stayed in the cleft of the rock of Etam. Then the Philistines came up and encamped in Jerusalem and made a raid on Lehi. And the men of Judah said, Why have you come up against us? They said, We have come up to bind Samson to do to him as he did to us. Then 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock of Etam and said to Samson, Do you not know that the Philistines are rulers over us? What then is this that you have done to us? And he said to them, As they did to me, so have I done to them. And they said to him, We have come down to bind you, that we may give you into the hands of the Philistines. And Samson said to them, Swear to me that you will not attack me yourselves. They said to him, No, we will only bind you and give you into their hands. We will surely not kill you. So they bound him with two new ropes and brought him up from the rock. When he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting to meet him. Then the, Holy, then, then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and the ropes that were on his arms became as flax that has caught fire, and his bonds melted off his hands. And he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, and put out his hand, and took it, and with it he struck one thousand men. And Samson said, With a jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with a jawbone of a donkey have I struck down a thousand men. As soon as he had finished speaking, he threw away the jawbone out of his hand, and that place was called Ramath Lehi. And he was very thirsty, and he called upon the Lord and said, You have granted this great salvation by the hand of your servant, and shall I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? And God split open the hollow place that is at Lehi, and water came out from it. And when he drank, his spirit returned, and he revived. Therefore the name of it was called En-Hakor. It is at Lehi to this day. And he judged Israel in the days of the Philistines twenty years. Amen. Why do you think your life is the way it is? How did you get here? Do you sometimes wonder? Was there a major turning point in your life? Maybe it was a choice of your college and major. Maybe it was a book you read or an inspiring lecture or sermon you heard. Or it could have been your marriage, definitely your marriage and having a child or children. Or maybe that turning point was a critical mistake you made. Or it could have been a silly mistake. One thing is for sure. 
Something started a chain reaction in your life, and you are here because of it. You may be grateful for it, or you may be sorry for it. How do you deal with that? In today's passage, we see a chain reaction in Samson's life. We'll see how it got started. We'll see how God was involved. Then we will see how Samson is a negative example of our true deliverer, Jesus Christ, and what that means for us. What a mess. We have here a tragic chain reaction of horrible deeds and their terrible consequences. Samson leaving the wedding feast in anger, heading to Eshkelon to kill 30 men there, returning to Timnah to deliver the cloaks he promised, and leaving again in anger to go back to his parents' home. His father-in-law giving his wife away to Samson's best man. Samson returning to discover what happened. Samson in burning anger, burning the grains of the Philistines with 300 foxes. The Philistines, in burning anger, burning Samson's father-in-law and his former wife with fire. Samson striking down those who burned them. The Philistines uh, attacking the tribe of Judah and demanding Samson. The 3,000 men of Judah binding Samson with ropes and handing their own countrymen over to their enemy. A thousand Philistines rushing to Samson like a lion as if to tear him apart. Samson snapping the ropes and picking up a jawbone of a donkey, killing all the Philistines that were attacking him. Here we see a tragic chain reaction, one angry action leading to another angry action, a chain reaction of threats and lies and deceptions and betrayals and killings and revenges and even burning people alive. But where did all this begin? This chain reaction of horror started because Samson was doing what was right in his own eyes, marrying a Philistine woman who and whose family did not embrace Yahweh as their God, whose people opposed Israel and did not care at all for Israel's religion. This is why we have to be careful about the decisions we make. We're constantly at crossroads And each of our decisions takes us down in one path and not the other. Every time we make a decision, we are saying goodbye forever to other options and what our lives could have been as a result of choosing them instead of this one. Think about some of the major decisions we make, such as whom to marry, what school to go to, what job to take, where to live, and on and on how they impact our lives in the most profound and extensive ways. But what about the countless small decisions we make every day, such as which apples to buy and what road to take for work? But even these little decisions can have life-changing effects. Because you left your home at the time you did, not 10 seconds earlier or 10 seconds later, you got into an accident or you might have avoided one. I think I told you one time I was bringing my kids from home and as I was driving and getting off the freeway on our ramp, I see a white car trying to make a lane change and getting back, trying to get off the freeway too late. 
And I see her driving and flying in the air because the, the ramp was slanted like this and landing like only 100 or 150 feet in front of us. If I was three seconds earlier, if the signal lights didn't work exactly the way it did, she might have run into our car, causing an amazing, I mean, tragic, tragic accident. Who knows what could have happened? Because you choose this seed rather than the other seed as you're making your flight reservation, you can meet your future spouse or not. One of Cass's friends met her husband in the airplane because the guy was sitting next to her. When we think about these things, it's amazing that we can make our decisions so casually. If we don't trust in God's sovereign rule over our lives, how do we not get paralyzed under the weight of each decision we make, regardless of how big or small it seems? What even our small decision can do to our lives for the rest of our lives. Here then is a wise counsel from the Bible. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. This is precisely what Samson did not do. He did what was right in his own eyes and did not trust the Lord. As this passage shows, we must not expect something good to happen when we make sinful decisions. I'm not saying that God cannot bring something good out of it. God does. Samson's story is a prime example of it. But we cannot ignore what Samson had to go through as a result of his foolish decisions and pursuits. He had the unenviable distinction of being the only judge arrested by his own people and handed over to the enemy by his own countrymen. Something even worse will happen to him later in the next chapter as a result of other foolish decisions and mistakes. Of course, I'm not saying that if we make all the right decisions, we'll be free of trouble. We cannot escape suffering as long as we live among fallen sinners in this fallen world as yet-to-be-glorified saints who have our own share of flaws and sins. But there is righteous suffering and shameful suffering. Peter says, For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure... This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Suffering is painful enough. And if the pain is compounded by an intense feeling of remorse and shame, how much more unbearable it is. But if our conscience is clean, and if we have the assurance that this is a gracious thing in the sight of the Lord, then we can bear it. With joy, even. But even through all this chaos, we see in today's passage that God is working out His purpose without fail. See what happens at the end. 
We don't know what to call it because it defies any conventional category. Was this just a brawl? But where have we heard of a brawl that involved a thousand men against one man? Was it a military battle then? It deserved that title when we consider how many men were involved, but how could it be called a battle when 1,000 men were fighting against just one man who was handed over to them in ropes? Yet this hopelessly one-sided fight ended most unexpectedly and incredibly. Samson by himself killed the 1,000 Philistine men who came to invade the tribe of Judah. Was he wearing a special armor that was impenetrable by any sword or spear or arrow like the armor of the Iron Man? No, he was bound by ropes like a prisoner as he was handed over to the Philistines by his own countrymen. Did he have a special weapon to wield to kill ten men with just one swing, like the hammer of Thor? Not at all. All he had was a jawbone of a donkey, This was a victory of mythic proportions. It is one thing to read this mindlessly, but it is another to try to imagine what might have actually happened at Lehi on that fateful day. 1,000 Philistine soldiers, each with his shield and weapon of choice, rushing at Samson as they yelled their battle cry, and Samson snapping the ropes that bound him by flexing his muscles and looking around to see whether there was anything he could use to fight them off, and slowly picking up a donkey's jawbone as he took a look at the horde of men rushing toward him with murder on their faces, and clenching his teeth, running toward the thousand with just a jawbone in his hand. How many times did he have to swing the jawbone and punch and kick to kill all 1,000 men? How long did it take for him to finish them off all by himself? Even as I was preparing this message, I had a hard time believing it. Do you think this could have happened? Or do you think it was just a myth, a made-up story, a legend? Maybe Samson killed only 30 men or 50 men. It just grew to be 100 and 150 and 500 and 1,000 as the story was retold again and again and again. And it is reasonable, only reasonable to think that way if Samson did it all by himself. But that is not what our passage says. When he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting to meet him. Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. And the rest is history. If we still have a hard time believing this, then it is because of our small faith. Yes, what we are talking about is something bordering on impossibility, but we are also talking about the Holy Spirit's involvement. Does it make any difference when the Holy Spirit, the Almighty God, helps someone? If he created the heavens and the earth out of nothing, if he caused the Red Sea to part just because Moses raised the staff in his hand, if he stopped the Jordan River from flowing as the priests stepped into the river, even though it was a period of flood, if he caused the walls of Jericho to tumble down as the Israelites shouted, 
would have been any trouble for him to help Samson to do what he did at Lehi. What are 1,000, 1 million mortal men to an almighty God? This fight was totally one-sided all right, but it was in favor of Samson because he had the help of the Holy Spirit. When scientists discover how nature works, even at the level of microorganisms, they are in awe, not hesitating to describe it as nothing short of a miracle. The wonders of the natural realm are awesome enough to make devotees and worshipers out of these scientists, worshipers of nature. These wondrous natural laws and processes were established by God's power and wisdom from the foundation of the world. If by these ordinary means, God is able to bring children and pups and cubs and calves into life and rain down 520 trillion gallons of water during a typical monsoon season in India, dumping all that water out of the sky, if God could do that, how much more can God do by His special, miraculous intervention? And this amazing God promises to us, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Oh, how He deserves our faith and trust. What great and amazing things can God do through us if we can just believe Him? This doesn't mean that God is more, no more than a miraculous vending machine who does whatever we ask as long as we push the right buttons of faith. The glory of God is the reason that Jesus promised this. So then, what we ask should be for the glory of God, not merely for our convenience. And since we should ask in Jesus' name, we must also consider whether what we are asking for is worthy of His name. We dare not use this promise for shameful or sinful things. But there is so much God would do for us and through us for His glory and for our good if we make ourselves available to Him and ask in faith. Not everyone will be a Samson just because he has enough faith as no one from the other 12 tribes of Israel could be a priest, no matter how strong his faith was in the Old Testament. In fact, his faith would stop him from asking for such a thing because he knew of God's law, which allowed only the descendants of Aaron to be priests. But brothers and sisters, will God not be only too happy to provide whatever we need to fulfill his calling for each of us? especially for our growth in godliness and faithfulness and fruitfulness. But what is it like when the Holy Spirit helps us to accomplish what God has called us to do? It is interesting to note what happened after Samson finished the battle against the thousand Philistines. 
After reciting a poem of victory, he cried out to the Lord out of thirst and exhaustion, You have granted this great salvation by the hand of your servant, and shall I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? In this, we see Samson's first prayer recorded in his story. To his credit, he acknowledges that God granted him victory, but these words of gratitude are quickly eclipsed by a complaint. Shall I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? Don't you think he could have asked more humbly? We see Samson still acting like a spoiled brat, even in his prayer. But do you find it interesting that Samson was so exhausted, even when the Holy Spirit helped him? Don't we think and don't we want the Holy Spirit to help us? Because if the Holy Spirit helps us, everything will be easy. But this shows that Samson was fully engaged in the battle, using all his strength and body and mind. The goal of the Holy Spirit is not to do everything for us so we can just relax and watch from the sideline. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. And that is true. We have to humbly acknowledge that. But if we don't build the house, the house would not be built either. Of course, this is not true of everything. There are plenty of things that God does and has to do to save us and sustain our life and faith. Someone said that God invented sleep to keep us out of His way so we don't keep messing things up. But he will not do what he has called us to do. He will give us the grace to do it and all the help we need to do it, but he will not do it for us. It was Samson's calling to deliver Israel. This was impossible without God's help, but he had to fight the Philistines using all of his strength to the point of sheer exhaustion so must we be ready to roll up our sleeves and do what God has called us to do, all the while praying for His help. Brothers and sisters, are you ready to give, all, give your all for God, who is willing to give all of Himself for you, who has done it already? But we have to see more. Was it only in his special help for Samson that God was working out his will for Israel's deliverance? No. The God of special miracle is also the God of ordinary providence. We saw how messy the chain reaction in today's passage was, but God was in it too, every step of the way. See how even in this messy development, justice was being served, though imperfectly on account of the sinful actions of people. Samson's wife betrayed her husband. Samson's father-in-law did wrong by giving, her daughter, giving his daughter away without officially formalizing the divorce. So they got burned. But those who burned them with fire did so not to punish them for their wrongdoing, but to lash out their anger against what Samson did. And they were much too cruel to burn them alive. 
For that, they were killed by Samson. But Samson, too, was not guiltless. So he experienced the humiliation of being betrayed by his countrymen as, bound, as they bound him and handed him over to their enemy. God was there all the step of the way. And ultimately, all these things led to the redemptive enmity between Israel's judge Samson and the Philistines and to Samson's first major victory over the enemy. God was never out of control. Brothers and sisters, are you in a messy situation due to no fault of your own? Or are you going through hardship precisely because you made a critical mistake and sinned in a major way? Look at Samson and look to your God, your gracious God. Wait on the Lord. Trust him to work out his good purpose for you and make it all right. You know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. The Bible promises to us. In this episode too, as we conclude, Samson is presented as a negative example of Jesus, our true deliverer. You see some parallels, don't you? Jesus, too, was betrayed by his people, from the religious leaders of that time to the crowd and his own disciples. They bound him and handed him over to their enemy, the Romans. But was it for his lustful fascination with a Gentile woman that he was humiliated and betrayed like that? Was it for his reckless and impetuous deeds? Was it for his cruel and misdirected revenges? No, he was tempted in every aspect as we are, but he remained sinless. The Jewish leaders had to scramble around to come up with some trumped-up charges against Jesus. Even then, Pontius Pilate could not find any guilt in him. Jesus did not use the crowd to advance his personal agenda. He taught them about the kingdom of heaven and ministered to them, quite often to the point of sheer exhaustion. Yes, he grew weary and existed, uh, exhausted, not from killing the Romans and sinners, but from ministering to the poor and sick and needy. In the end, he gave his life for the salvation of sinners to the very last breath and the very drop of blood. Brothers and sisters, I hope that you see here another chain reaction. But this chain reaction began before Samson's time, even though Jesus came more than 1,000 years after him. In fact, it began before the foundation of the world in the eternal and infinite mind of God. Therefore, everything that happened since the creation of the world, including the chain reaction in today's passage, is part of the grand chain reaction of God's redemption. I hope you see how amazing this is and what this implies about us and our lives. 
You may feel like you are amid a tragic chain reaction, which started a long time ago by a critical mistake you made. But you see, even this chain reaction in your life does not exist independently by itself, even as Samson's tragic chain reaction was not outside of God's sovereign control. It is all part of the grand chain reaction of God's redemption, which will end in the manifestation of His inexorable glory and our glorious salvation in Jesus Christ. Let this amazing truth sink in in your mind, and in your heart. You are not a cog that is rolling around by itself in the dirt of chance and meaninglessness. Something that is kicked around by every foot that touches it. You see, you are included in the great machinery of God's work of redemption. Your life matters to God. Your life matters to those around you. And your life somehow matters to the grand progress of God's redemptive history. I hope we all see that. That we are not a cog that's thrown away somewhere, rolling around without any meaning and purpose but you are incorporated into the grand machinery of God's redemption. The prayers you offer and the service you give to the ministry of our church community, the missionaries you support, the children you raise, the good things that you do for your fellow human beings, who knows what God is working through all those things to accomplish His grand purpose. Some of us may be fortunate enough to see the immediate result of what we do. And many of us may not see it. We'll see it only when we get to heaven. But God is constantly at work. Not only in the special events of your life, but even in the ordinary routines of your life as you faithfully carry out the calling that God has given to you. This is why we should be reminded that it is never too late to turn around and break the chain of horror and evil. Just because we made a bad decision doesn't mean that we should continue to make bad decisions. This is not easy, of course. The law of inertia works in, in our spiritual life too. Once we start in a direction, it quickly gains speed and becomes more and more difficult to change the direction. But difficult doesn't mean impossible. Especially when the Lord constantly calls us to repentance by His Word. Especially when our chain reaction is taken up by the divine chain reaction of His redemptive work in Jesus Christ. If we are courageous enough to respond by faith and start doing the right thing by the grace of God, by the same grace of God, the course of our life can change as well. It is incredibly encouraging to have the assurance that God is able to use our mistakes and failures and even our sins to accomplish His purpose. Samson's life and ministry is an amazing example of that. 
And the Bible shows this over and over again. But let's imagine what might have happened if Samson did what was right in God's eyes rather than doing what was right in his own eyes. We might not have had the same, the kind of dramatic and even exciting stories we have in these chapters. But the opposite may equally be true and even more so. We might have had even more exciting and magnificent stories of Samson's victory and Israel's redemption. Do not think so. That God is more pleased with Jesus' life of perfect obedience than all the drama of Samson's story and life. I would like to encourage all of us today. Your act of long overdue repentance and obedience today may be another kind of turning point which will start a new chain reaction of greater communion with God and your fellow saints, growing usefulness and effectiveness in ministry, increasing sense of meaning and purpose for your life that will make your life worth the living every day. Start today. Start now. Turn around in repentance and faith. Turn toward God. Turn toward the will of God. Surrender yourself to God's sovereign and gracious will and purpose for your life. Knowing that this is possible for you because the Spirit of the Lord is at work in your life. Because you know that you are part of the grand chain reaction of God's redemption in Jesus Christ, which can never fail. Oh, I hope you are encouraged today to be part of that amazing chain reaction. And I know that many of you can testify to the amazing changes that occurred in your life because of that moment you surrendered your life to Christ. May that continue. And may it grow into amazing, amazing work of God's redemption as you entrust your life in humble obedience and faith to God from this day and forward. Let us pray. Well, Lord our God, we give you thanks and praise for Jesus Christ, the greater Samson. We thank you for his life of perfect obedience, which was pleasing to you. We thank you, Lord, that though we find ourselves caught up in this chain reaction of our lives that started with maybe a 
terrible mistake you made, we made in the past. We thank you, Lord, that the moment we place our faith in Jesus Christ, the downward spiral can be brought into the upward chain reaction of your redemption in Jesus Christ. And that you will be able to use even our past mistakes and failures to bring glory and honor to your name, to lift us up as a trophy of your grace. So Lord, we pray that you will give us the faith to trust in you, to believe this gospel truth, that our lives have been crucified with Christ so that we might live the newness of life in Jesus Christ. And I pray, Lord, that that life, that new life we live, will bring glory and honor to your name and encouragement, and challenge, and, and help to those around us to be something beautiful, admirable, noble, So, Lord, help us to start now, start today. Help us not to postpone any longer. And let today be the turning point in our lives, a turning point in our lives for good. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.